Hey there, all you serial killer fanatics. I'm Amanda. And I'm Corey. Welcome to Serial Killer Tuesday. Here at SKT, we talk about the nitty-gritty of all things serial killers. Want to know what makes some of the most prolific murderers tick? Yeah, so do we. We're just two best friends who love to talk about true crime and wanted to provide you, our new best friend, a place to talk about it too. New episodes will air every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Each month, we will discuss the depravity of a new serial killer with weekly deep dives into their lives. Stop by for the stories. Stay for the fun. So, uh, before we get started, there's a little fun fact for you. Since the 1980s, there are still 222,000 unsolved serial killer murders in the U.S. This isn't one of them. These ones are solved. <laughs> oh, that like totally gave me SVU vibes. Here's their stories. Here's their stories. So this week, our very first serial killer episode, or SKT for short, we are going to talk about Dean Arnold Coral, a.k.a. the Candyman and the Pied Piper. He was known as the Candyman because him and his family owned and operated a candy factory in Houston Heights, Texas. Dean earned his claim to fame because not only was he a serial killer, he was also a sex offender. Oh, he was well-rounded. Who abducted, raped, and tortured his victims before he murdered them. Classic. His crime spree took place in Texas, mostly in Houston and Pasadena. Dean would pick up teenage boys and young men with an invite to party. Then he would strangle or shoot them. Dean didn't work alone. He had two accomplices, which is unusual for most serial killers. They usually work alone or in pairs. These accomplices were two teenagers, David Owen Brooks and Elmer Wayne Henley. The crimes which were known as the Houston Heights murders came to light after Henley fatally shot Coral. He claimed to have killed over 28 people from 1970 to 1973. That's about 9.3 victims per year if you break it down. 0.3, what kind of number is that? It's like part of a person. Right. It's almost one person per month, like taking a little break in between months. That's just crazy to me. I know. Here's a little backstory on Mr. Coral. So Dean Coral was born on December 24th, 1939. He was the first child for his parents, Mary Emma Robinson and Arnold Edwin Coral. His father was a strict parent, and his mother was very protective of both her sons. Dean's parents' marriage was pretty tumultuous, and they fought frequently. His parents divorced in 1946, four years after Dean's younger brother was born. They all moved to Memphis, Tennessee, because that's where Dean's father had been stationed for the Air Force, and it allowed the children to stay in contact with him. That's pretty nice. <clears throat> I wouldn't uproot my life, but uh, I mean, no. at least you, at least he. I mean, he had a kind of a, like a rough childhood because it was 1939. But I mean, at least his mom did make an effort for him to stay in contact with his dad. <laughs> I guess. So true. Little boys need their dads. Mm-hmm. Dean was a shy, serious child who didn't really hang out with other children. But he did display concern for the well-being of others. 
When he was seven, he suffered an undiagnosed case of rheumatic fever, and it was not recognized until the doctors found out he had a heart murmur in 1950. He was told to avoid P.E. in school. Um, going back to the little boys need their fathers, uh, sometimes they don't have fathers, so that's okay, too. Um, just, you know, don't come for us. Wow, are you trying to say that I'm an insensitive <laughs> asshole? Nope. Nope, God. I sure am not. <laughs> I wasn't so, trying to be an insensitive asshole. I know. <laughs> so, his parents decided that they really, really still loved each other and decided to get remarried in 1950. So they moved to Pasadena, Texas, which is a suburb of Houston. However, there was a reason they got divorced the first time, and their second marriage was short-lived. And they ended up getting another divorce in 1953. That divorce was also amicable, and Dean's mother retained custody with the boys having regular visits with their father. In 1954, Dean's mother decided to try marriage one more time, and she married a traveling clock salesman. I almost said something <laughs> else. <laughs> <laughs> I read that and I was like, what? What did she <laughs> sell? <sounds>? Clocks. <laughs> wow. Anyways, in 1954, Dean's mother married a traveling clock salesman named Jake West. The family then moved to Vador, Texas, where Dean's half-sister Joyce was born. So, at this time, Dean's mother and stepfather decided to start a candy company in their garage. During the start of this business, Dean worked night and day and still went to school. Dean and his brother were responsible for running the candy-making machines and packing all the products. Then, his stepfather would take the products and sell them on his traveling clock route. Most of the candy was sold in Houston, where Dean's stepfather's route was. Dean went to Vador High School, where he was a good but not great student, and he was well-behaved. He was kind of a loner and didn't really date a ton. He was really only interested in the brass band, where he played the trombone, which is an interesting instrument, so good for him. I played the saxophone. So did Candace. Oh, how funny. I played sax yeah, she, and then I played she, the flute. She, I played the flute as well, and don't come for me. I was not, and I also did go to band camp, but it wasn't that kind of band camp. I did not go to band camp, and I also was not very good because I didn't. I was you like too over school. I oh. did enjoy it. Is the problem? You I enjoyed? just didn't put any effort into it. Oh, Candace likes to say that she's a professional saxophone player, and oh, yeah, and um. So she likes to likes to say like she can, you know, bust out the saxophone and like play a song if we're having like a party or something like that. I 110% would love to see that. I and know. Also, I could not do that. I can't even read music anymore. <laughs> I know, right? It's so like you, you're so like you're so involved in it when you're in high school and then after you get out of high school you're like, "What? I did that? I did I didn't even go to school half the time." Which kids stay in school? Yes, do. Don't be like us. I graduated, but I hated every second of high school, and I yeah, wish that too. I would it have. It was the worst. It was. You couldn't pay me enough money to go back now, mm -hmm. but I wish me I would either. have, like, actually given a crap about it. Paid more attention? Yeah. And, like, 
even been more involved. Done something with your life afterwards? <laughs> right? <laughs> no, I mean... <laughs> no, it's true. I know. That's how I, I feel, too. Well, I think it's something that, you know, isn't talked about. Like, no. I didn't apply to college because I was like, I don't know how. I didn't apply to college either um, because instead I decided, you know what would be better than that? Getting married. <laughs> I got married early, but uh, I was so done with school by the time graduation. I got came married around. a year after I graduated high school. Oh gosh, I got married. I think it was yeah. twenty three. Yeah, no, I graduated. I graduated and got married a year after high school. Little unknown fact: I was married to a man before this. I know we're getting off topic. But I was married to a man. We've been divorced for a hell of a long time. Over <laughs> 20 years. <laughs> and he was not I'm, a good guy. I'm, and he's remarried. And I'm sure he's very happy. Congrats. Mm. I'm not <laughs> congratulating you. <laughs> I'm very happy. But if I had to do it all over again, I wouldn't have done that. Mm -mm. Nope. No, sorry. Mm-mm. Nay, nay. Yeah, that that would that would not have happened. I don't. Zero out of ten stars. Zero stars. Zero <laughs> stars. Zero stars given for that. Ten out of ten would recommend not doing that. Yeah, ten out of ten would not recommend. All right. Well, back so, to Dean. I know. Back to Dean. His trombone got me off the off on the tangent. My bad, people. Sorry. <laughs> so Dean graduated from high school in 1958 and his family moved to the outskirts of Houston so that the candy business could be closer to the city since that's where most of the product sales were. Hi, Luna. <laughs> She's Hi, busted. Baby. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, baby. Okay, you can come in, but you got to be quiet, okay? So the family opened a new store called the Pecan Prince. In 1960, Dean moved to Indiana to live with his newly widowed grandma at the request of his mother. He did have a girlfriend there, but they broke up when she proposed marriage. After he rejected her, he moved back to Houston Heights and into an apartment that was above the candy shop. In 1963, Dean's mother was on her now third divorce and decided to open her own candy shop, which she named Coral Candy Company. Dean was a vice president, and his brother was the secretary slash treasurer. In that same year, a male teenage employee made a complaint to Dean's mother that Dean had made some sexual advances towards him. Dean's mother turned around and fired the teen. See, see he was smart. He didn't get married when she proposed to him. Well, so he also smart. was a serial killer, so maybe he I, wasn't that smart. Well, I, I don't think he was interested in girls. Well, clearly not. <laughs> clearly not. And a shout out to Dean's mom, who was just making her way through divorce. <laughs> Good job. Right? <laughs> She's a busy lady. Very busy. <laughs> Very busy. <laughs> so, now we're moving into 1964. Dean was drafted into the Army, because that's what happened. He was assigned to Fort Polk, Louisiana, for basic training, and then he was stationed in Fort Benning, Georgia. 
This is where he trained as a radio repairman. And then he was permanently stationed in Fort Hood, Texas. He had an unblemished record in the military. However, he hated it. So he decided to apply for a hardship discharge, claiming he was needed at the family candy company. His request was granted, and he was honorably discharged in 1965 after only serving 10 months. This tiny stint in the army is where Dean realized he was gay, as he had his first sexual encounter there. Interesting. Side note, I didn't okay. realize he was stationed at Fort Hood. Mm -hmm. Um, There's like a whole conspiracy theory on Fort Hood and how like corrupt it is. Oh, it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, there's been like it's it's been in the news. I mean, mm. not lately. Um, but, but there's been the several news? like high profile cases that have come out of Fort Hood, and a lot of people say that it's just awful there. I mean, I don't know, but that's just what I have uh, seen. There was there was a shooting in in Fort Hood in 2009. There was, it was a disgruntled employee. And one in 2014. One of them was the disgruntled employee. I thought it was. Mm -hmm. Army major. Yeah. In 2009? Yeah. Yeah, yeah there's yeah. been. And I mean, just. They've had a lot of soldiers die. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's been like a lot of corruption and cover up and just kind of crazy stuff that goes on in Fort Hood. From what I've yeah. heard. I mean, I'm. That's what I've heard too. I mean, I just looked it up, so. Yeah, it's super interesting. Mm -hmm. Sad and scary, but interesting. So once Dean left the Army, he moved to Houston Heights and resumed his role as the vice president of the candy company. The competition between Coral Candy and his former stepfather's company, Pecan Prince, was pretty fierce. So Dean increased his hours to satisfy the public demand. In 1965, Dean moved the candy company directly across the street from Helms Elementary School, where he was known to give free candy to the local children, particularly teenage boys, earning him his Candyman nickname. He was seen to be flirting with all the teenage male employees and even installed a pool table in the back of the candy company where employees and local kids would congregate. In 1967, Coral befriended 12-year-old David Brooks, who was a sixth grader at the time. He was one of many children that received free candy from Coral. Don't take candy from strangers. Even if it's not laced with anything, don't take candy from strangers. Yeah, especially strange men. Like, don't take, don't take candy from strange men driving around in a van. Like, what the hell? Golly. So, so, Brooks was one of Coral's closest companions, even though he was 12, and that's weird. He and joined, illegal. Right. He joined Dean on many of the trips that, that Dean took to South Texas for company business. They also took other youth with them on these trips. Uh, that, like, nobody noticed a strange old man. I mean, older. He wasn't super old in his 20s. So, no one noticed a man in his 20s with kids Young between boys. 12 and 14 on a right. trip. Like, that doesn't seem weird to you? Ugh. I guess it would seem, I, I suppose it probably seems weirder now. But in 1968, 67, 
maybe it I don't wasn't know. so I think weird. It almost seems weirder then. That was like the time where it was like kids played outside till the streetlights came on, and you know the moms had the kids and they were busy making sure the house was clean and dinner was made and. You know, they didn't really interact with their kids. So to see, like, some young guy walking around with all these kids, wouldn't you be like, hmm, red flag? I, I guess nobody paid attention. It's weird. They were like, but we don't interact with our kids. Right. Why is this nobody guy? What's attention. he trying to do? Right? Take him to the beach. Whatever. Ew. Weird. Yeah, gross. So, Dean gave Brooks money, and Brooks was said to have viewed Dean as some sort of father figure. Here's where it gets weird. They eventually developed a sexual relationship. Now, I don't think that, you know, like 90% of the population does not have sex with their father. So, weird. Yuck. I guess he stopped seeing him as a father figure and more like a boyfriend. And in 1969, Dean started paying Brooks with money or presents so that he could perform sexual acts on the now 14-year-old. 14, BT-dubs. 14. Coral Candy was closed in 1968, and Coral took a job as an electrician for Houston Lighting and Power, and David Brooks sometimes stayed with Coral when he was in town visiting his father, which again, what person is like, hey, dad, I know I'm 14, but I'm going to go stay the night at my friend Dean's house. He's 26, but yeah, whatever. It's fine. It's fine. That's not a friendship, just so everybody's clear. That's called grooming. (sighs) Gross. It Dean's is gross. mother. Dean's Ugh. mother never saw her son again as she moved to Colorado with his half-sister Joyce after the closing of the candy company. However, she did say she talked to him on the phone quite a bit. He's like, oh, mom, just hanging out with my teenage friends. Yeah. Like, so fucking creepy. Uh, I just can't. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Gross. It, just, it is gross. It makes me sad. I know I always go back to this, but I have nieces that age. Mm-hmm. And if they were like, hey, we're going to go hang out with anybody over the age of, like, 16, I'd be like, hmm. No, thank you. Mm, I don't want to hang out with people, like, uh, to be honest. You could just stop that sentence there. I don't want (laughs) to hang out with people, period. (laughs) That's what I meant. I don't want to hang out with people. (laughs) Uh, Especially teenagers. No offense to any teenagers listening to this podcast. And I do like children, but eh. I just can't imagine. Ugh. Gross. People suck. Yeah. So at this point, it's now 1970. And this is when Dean started killing. So between 1970 and 1973, Dean allegedly killed a minimum of 28 victims. All of his victims were males between the ages of 13 and 20, and most of them were in their mid-teens. The victims were mostly abducted from Houston Heights, which at the time was a lower-income neighborhood northwest of downtown Houston. He was assisted by his teenage accomplices, Elmer Wayne Henley and David Owen Brooks, in abducting the victims. Most of the victims were friends with either Henley or Brooks, or both. The others were young boys or men who Dean had befriended. Two of the victims, Billy Bulch and Greg Winkle, were former employees of the Coral Candy Company. 
Can you imagine? No. Like, mm. I, I just, I find serial killers fascinating because I want to know how their brain works. Right. But then, like, they always give me such an ick in my stomach that I'm like, yeah. ugh. Yeah. What is wrong with you? Yeah. I just think that there is a much easier way to end your overwhelming compulsion. Right. And do you think that he killed more than 28 victims? That's just what he admitted to? Or I, it's hard to know with serial killers whether they're telling the truth about how many people they killed. Oh, absolutely. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I'm sure it's pretty close to that because, you know, he... Obviously, he was killed. Right. Um, but you had Henley and Brooks who can corroborate can numbers. And can you imagine being, I think, I think um, Henley was 15 or 16 when they started hanging out. And, and Brooks was four, 12. So I can't even imagine as, as young men, they're like, Coral's like, hey, um, why don't we like pick up these guys and sexually assault them and kill them? And they're like, Hey, I'm not doing anything on Friday. That sounds like a great idea. Well, that's where it gets like, like almost fascinating to me because how can you as one person convince these people that, you know, it's wrong. Right. You know what I mean? No matter your upbringing, you know it's wrong to kill somebody else. But then you have these like conflicting feelings of clearly their parents weren't super active in their lives. Right. If they were letting, you know, these boys hang out with a grown man. Mm -hmm. And this grown man who they're probably looking up to, you know, he's successful. He's been in the military. Right. He graduated high school and now he owns this company and he's just plying them with all these you know, money and gifts and candy. Yeah. I mean, it, that's got to be really confusing as a child. Well, and I think, I mean, and as a child, you're more easily influenced by those things. Oh, absolutely. So if you come from a background that doesn't have those and Brooks's parents were separated. So he spent, you know, he spent his school time with his mom and his summertime with his dad and everything was different. And I'm sure his, I'm sure as far as parents go in the 1960s, people didn't pay a lot of attention to their kids. Right. And I'm guessing a single dad probably didn't pay a whole lot of attention to his kid. Right. Well, and if she was a single mom, you know, she's right. working at least one job, if not two. Right. Right. And most likely for that time, it was two jobs. Probably. That's so, just crazy to me. So Coral would lure his suspecting victims into one of the two vehicles that he owned. Are you ready for this? One <laughs> was a Ford Econoline van. A van. Stay away from strange people wanting to give you candy from a van. Candy, or puppies, puppies. or anything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If they pull up in a van, you can just automatically assume that that is... Not a good idea. Right. Sayonara. Some creepy with a mustache gets out of a van and is like, hey, you want to check out my candy? I'd be like, no. No, I do not. Ugh. Candy, a stereo, nothing. Do not 
a kidney. You don't need it. Not from the back of a van. No, especially not a kidney from the back of a van. Who just carries those around? Black market kidney dealers. (laughs) (laughs) Open up their trench coat. All their kidneys are stuffed in the pockets. I always wanted a trench coat like that. That is way off this topic of serial killers, but I really did want a trench coat like that so I could put a lot of things in the pockets. Oh, God. I carry too much like stuff a in bunny, my purse. A kitty. I used to open it up, and there they there they are. A Luna. She came in, and then she looked at me like, what the hell are you doing? Bye. <laughs> Why are you talking to me, crazy lady? And she just left. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we know what, what to get you for Christmas. A trench coat with a lot of pockets? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll start a GoFundMe for that. <laughs> Crowdsource. <laughs> so, he also had a 1969 Corvette, which, okay, I might have gotten into that car. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, not so much, but if you pull up in a 1969 Corvette, I probably would get in. <laughs> <laughs> I want to take a ride in my Corvette. Yes, yes, I do. In all seriousness, <laughs> yes, I do. In all seriousness, I am that person that if you're like, "Hey, I've got these puppies," I'd be like, "Sold." <laughs> right. <laughs> Chris is always like, "You cannot talk to people and their pets." But they had a Bye. dog, and he's like, "I don't care." You're gonna get kidnapped, and I'm like, eh, "They'd give me back." After after they listen to you talk for a hot second, they'd be like, eh. they'd be like "Shut up! <laughs> I can't, I can't that." <laughs> you sound like a mouse, and you never stop talking. Like none of these episodes are ever short because no. I just have so much to say. You do. So, Dean was said to have purchased said Corvette for Brooks in 1971. So. They usually would get kids into the car by offering a lift to wherever the person needed to go or telling them there was a cool party they should go to. I've never been walking along and had anyone offer to take me to a cool party. I would never go to a party that somebody offered me offered to take me to. My dad was a cop. I never got to go to anything cool. I was kids that kid. Knew my dad was a like, cop. Yeah. Yeah, I grew up like my brother was the troublemaker. So, like, I watched no. him get in trouble and I was like, Mm-mm, I was the good kid. I was the oldest. Everyone was, I was the, the example. Blah, You're the guinea blah, pig. Blah. Right? It's literally what I told Lincoln the at parenting. dinner. Mm-hmm. The parenting guinea pig. Yeah, I was like, we messed up with your sister. Like, we know how to do it with you. Right. <laughs> Exactly. Pretty much. Pretty much. So, Coral and or his teenage accomplices would drive them to Coral's house, which that's not a cool party. When they got to Coral's house, the young boys or men would be offered drinks and drugs and then they would probably pass out. Or they were tricked into putting on handcuffs. Which was Dean's little trick. He liked to say, hey, he would put on a pair of handcuffs and show them how he could get out of them without a key. But he had a trick pair of handcuffs. So he would put a different pair of handcuffs on them and they couldn't get out and only succeeded in making them tighter. Uh, John Wayne Gacy did the same thing. Mm -hmm. Yep. Or they were just simply grabbed by force. 
Then they were stripped and tied to Coral's bed, or most of the time they were tied to a plywood torture board, which was usually hung on the wall. Once they were handcuffed, they would be sexually assaulted, beaten, and tortured. And then after several days, they would be killed by strangulation, which is hard to do, by the way. Like, that's a lot. And it's like, so to strangle personal. someone, you really have to, like, that really has to be some, some, some doing. Or they were shot with a 22 caliber pistol. Then the trio wrapped them up in plastic sheeting and buried them. So they buried the bodies in one of four places, a rented boat shed in southwest Houston, on a beach on the Boulevard Peninsula, a woodland area near Lake Sam Rayborn, which is a long name for a lake, where Coral's family happened to own a lakeside cabin, which also sweet. Why didn't he take them there? Because <laughs> we're burying them. <laughs> or you can't beach. bring your your lovers there. Your your soon to be <laughs> to your victim. Cabin. That smells like dead bodies. They're uh, like mm, hard pass. Or a beach in Jefferson County. He was not a Dexter. He did not cut them up and bury them in the ocean. Ugh, gross. Burying someone is hard too. Like you really have to, like you have to dig and dig and dig and dig and dig to get them in the ground far enough so that people won't accidentally, while they're beach out doing beach stuff, stumble upon a hand sticking out of the sand. Ugh. Or like, did they bury them inside the rented boat shed? Outside the rented boat shed? I've never been in a boat shed. I don't really know what one looks like. The only one that I'm picturing is from Stranger Things. Oh, where you the boat like slides in and there's like a dock around it and then like yeah. a shed around it. But it like stays mm. in the water, I thought. I thought so too. I so don't that's know. weird. It is weird. But like I don't have the physical stamina for that. I'm not digging a hole. <sighs> Me neither. Like no. I don't want to strangle you. I don't have time for that. I don't want to stab you because you can, you're like, your DNA gets, you in, inevitably end up cutting yourself and DNA gets out on you. Shooting someone, you get gunshot There's residue blood, on your hands. Yeah, blood splatter. Yeah. Just murder I, in general seems like a whole lot of work that I don't have time for. Yeah. And I have time for a lot of things. You do because you don't have a job I right now. I don't have a job. <laughs> I know. Because you just moved. Yeah. You're retired now. I'm retired. Thank you. Thank you. I am 45, so. But I should probably find a job at some point in my life. Yeah, but like, what's what's going to beat this? Uh, nothing. Nothing will beat this. I mean, here we nothing. are. Drinking tea. Living our best lives. Talking about serial killers. Like, yeah. what could be better? Making money. Well, Fair. <laughs> <laughs> maybe one day okay i mean i'm no expert but that would be that would throw it right in the top five things of things i like to do gosh you know i just like making money i don't want to actually like work do for, stuff it. for it like yeah. this is what i want to do to get paid i don't yeah i don't want to do anything else let's not get crazy i would also like to play the sims for money <laughs> but that also seems like a lot of trouble you're gonna have to be one of those youtubers i know I don't really know if I have the patience for that either. I don't. People are mean on the interwebs. I know. 
Don't, don't be mean to us. We don't like it. It hurts our feelings. <laughs> it hurts my feelings. <laughs> I'll take it personally and I'll cry. I will probably cry too. Did I send you that meme that was like, hey, do you, do you how do you take, uh, good God, constructive criticism, <laughs> crying? <laughs> Fine, what's up? That's me. Or I'm like, why inevitable. don't you like me? Can I see you in my office? Oh. No, no, you cannot. You, you cannot not. see me in your office. Nope, I'm good. It's a hard you pass. Know what? I'll just sit now. <laughs> yeah, <It's> fine. <laughs> just go clean up my cubby. It's fine. <laughs> PTSD. Sorry, people. Some trauma, leftover trauma. It's fine. We're fine. Everything's fine. As the house is burning down behind us. Right. It's fine. Mascara is running down our our face. We don't We're have crying. that good Lauren, Lauren Conrad tear. <laughs> We're just train wrecks. Well, and, I switched, and I mean, I switched from waterproof mascara to regular mascara because it doesn't pull out your eyelashes, eyelashes as bad. And yeah, I can't really risk losing those. Like I said in the previous times, I'm 45, like hair falls out. It's not Eyelashes are the first to get, thing to go. And you have a face for radio, so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a face for radio. Can't afford to look worse. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, stop it. <laughs> but, yeah, I can tell you're using waterproof mascara. That's crazy. I don't use it because it rips out my eyelashes. I know. I have long eyelashes. Eyelashes. My sunglasses. <laughs> I don't wear, I can't wear my mascara super long because it hits my glasses, my real life glasses, because I'm oh, blind yes. and I can't see. So um, I have to, it has to be like just regular length. I could never get false eyelashes because it I would, would drive me bananas. Beautiful, but they would hit my glasses all the yep. time and I can't handle that. I'd probably nope. get really carsick from seeing them. Everyone's like, no, you get used to it. And I'm like, mm, no, you, you've never driven more than five miles with me. <laughs> Give anything there. I'm going to be like, ugh. Uh, yeah. I don't know how we got off that topic, but. I don't either. It's because that's who we are as people. <laughs> it's just who we are. <laughs> In a lot of the abductions, before Dean and his accomplices killed the victims, Dean would force the victims to phone or write their parents with explanations for why they were gone in an effort to pacify their parents so they wouldn't worry and, you know, wonder why their kids were missing. He was also known to keep souvenirs from his victims, which was usually keys, which is super common. Most serial killers do keep some, keep sort, of a, some sort of a souvenir. Mm-hmm. Um. So while he was on his serial killer rampage, he often changed addresses. However, until he moved to Pasadena, Texas in 1973, he always lived in or close to Houston Heights. Interesting. And that's where we're going to end today's episode. So next week, we're going to talk about the victims and how they were each killed. Also... Please note, listener discretion is advised. So make sure you tune in for next week's episode where we discuss all of Dean's victims and how he got his start as a serial killer. Toodaloo, kangaroos.